Good day. My name is James Langridge, and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. And I'm welcoming you back today for another podcast. Uh, we have some exceptional guests on the line today. I am delighted to introduce Mike Tyndall, MBE, Nick Knowles, and our very own Chantel Rickards. Welcome, everybody. Hey, hello. hello. Um, we're just going to, today we're talking about um, rugby for heroes. Sport is, is such a, a big impact on everybody across the world. Unfortunately, we can't go to a lot of our, or perhaps any of our favorite events right now. Um, and so I know everyone on the call today is eager to talk about what it's going to be like in the future when we can get back out there. But first things first, Mike, tell us a little bit more about Rugby for Heroes and, 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 and how you got involved in it. Um, well, Rugby for Heroes was, uh, was founded in 2011, but it sort of started before that, uh, probably four or five years. It was just a way of um, specifically Gloucester rugby players and a, and a former uh, kit man of Gloucester uh, called Alan Lamb, who was would start doing calendars. The boys would do naked shoots. They'd do all sorts just to raise some funds for uh, uh, for the for the military and for and because rugby's always been closely linked with the military. We've always done pre seasons there uh, with England. You know, famously before the two thousand three World Cup, we were down there. Before the ninety nine World Cup, we were down at Limston. Um, so and then. I reckon out of my 17 years as a professional, I reckon I did at least seven or eight that were military involved military in the preseason. All absolute hell. They were there to break us down. So, but one common thing came out of it. We we both have the sort of the same work ethic. We both have the same. You work hard when you're working. You have a lot of fun when you're not doing it. You mock all your mates as much as you can. You have uh, banter. You have humour in the dark stages, so when you're absolutely blowing out your arse, you actually find the humour within that when you're struggling, when you're battling, when your legs are fatigued, whatever. Um, so it's always been a close bond between us, and they've always been involved with every aspect that I've uh, I've witnessed. You know, uh, in the 2000s, we had uh, Mr. Martin, who was our sort of uh, team manager, who was former former military as well at England. So. Um, Nathan Martin, who then went off into the RFU. So we've always had these tight links. And what is the biggest is it's a family. And I think the military is a family. Um, it's, it's, it's built around those bonds. And, you know, when it leaves, whether you retire from sport or you, you come out of the military, suddenly that family can disappear because everyone's either still in it or they're, they're not. And you've got to then move on. And it's very hard to one day I can speak from my experience and and I was lucky with my career in terms of how, how you know the success that I managed to have but then you wake up one morning you don't have to go to training the next day you don't have 35 mates to have bounce off and have uh, meaningful chats with about what's going on how they're doing suddenly you just wake up and you don't actually have to get out of bed and then then you go well actually now I need to sort of move on and You've got to try and then find your way. And unless you've done some really good planning, um, you, you know, it, it's not easy. Whereas what we, we see at Rugby for Heroes is you can leave the military and, and the rugby community is very similar. So let's get you involved in that in whatever way we can. So you might have kids, for example, and they might play rugby and you want to go ref. You want to be able to ref their games, get involved, go to training sessions, coach them. So what we do is one of the things through the transition through rugby uh, courses that we run is we, we run qualification courses for refereeing courses and then for uh, coaching level two coach badging. So they could go into any local club and they could coach at a majority of the levels. And then if they wanted to, they could go to their first team and coach and try and get their level That's three. But we're trying to set them up, A, with a new community, a rugby-based community that's, that is the core of their area where they live because they may no longer live near any of their serving, uh, serving uh, friends that they had before. Um, so it's finding that new social network that you can that you can hang on to and find new friends who share the same sort of goals as you. And then what the other side of we do is we bring in recruitment agencies to help work on CVs if they don't know how to transfer their skill sets out of the military. Um, you know, it's amazing how many don't they, they they do these amazing things moving 
hundred people around countries in logistically, but then they don't realize how that then transfers into CV street. So we bring in uh, a recruitment agency who helps them with the CVs, gives them ideas of what they do. And then hopefully they get to chat with all these guys, the guys that are there on the course, they make friends and then hopefully they go out and they start looking at areas that they want to go and, and uh, get involved with, but hopefully stay, stay in that, that family, the new family of the rugby community. Can I just say that, yeah, no, I was just going to say that was a great explanation, Mike. I've not actually heard you a full flow on that before. That was, um, that was brilliant. I think there are two, two things that I, w- I would add to that. Is one, for our American uh, listeners, um, the phrase blowing out your ass" actually uh, refers <laughs> to, not, not to flatulence from lactose intolerance, but in fact it means just absolutely knackered and worn out. So, um, yeah. just in Thanks case for the clarification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it comes from the old adage, uh, if you're blowing out your hoops, so not only are you blowing out your mouth, your nostrils, you're blowing out of any orifice that has a hole. So uh, that, that, that is, where, that is the, uh, the athlete's equivalent of when you are really battling. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how we use it. You've, you've educated us a little bit there, Mike. We needed that. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for bringing it up as well. Nick, um, you're obviously you're very well known as well uh, at home uh, back in England. Where, when did you get involved in it? I, I know you do a lot for charity. What was what stood out for you with Rugby for Heroes? Um, I've been involved with a few military charities before um, I, I came to Rugby for Heroes, uh, and um, and uh, oddly enough, there was an ab- anniversary of my own family rugby club, Hemel um, uh, Hempstead Rugby Club, where all my family play coming up. Um, and I saw that there was a, a, a specialist rugby game uh, before well, the World Cup. So it was about four, five years ago that I first contacted Alan Lamb to ask him if he could help out um, with our 100th uh, anniversary uh, celebrations when they came up to get a few players in. And he said, and he sort of started chatting and said, well, we've got this, um, uh, this uh, rugby charity that we do involved with the military. And we've seen, he'd seen stuff that we did with the military, we built um, an entire street. We turned derelict homes into houses for veterans up in Manchester and done a couple of other things. Um, and I'd also been making documentaries around the Invictus Games. So um, got to meet um, uh, you know, some of the competitors and chatted to Prince Harry about the motivation behind it. So I, had a, I was in that field anyway and then got introduced to them and said I would help out with one thing about five years ago. Um, and I've been uh, involved ever since. But that's the, the, the guy who runs it, um, uh, Alan Lamb, is, is the kind of guy that you, you, you don't get to walk away from. He's old, he's old Gloucester Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the nicest possible way. But So, well, he, but also, so we, Alan, was, Alan was the kit man that I was talking about, and he can still get your kit from 1995. He's still got a good stash of it in his, <laughs> in his shed, so don't worry about that. <laughs> so, a fascinating character. And, and, and actually, his son, uh, Ryan Lamb, very, very successful uh, fly half, played for Gloucester, and actually played for about eight other clubs along the way. I think he's currently with Scarlets, but so he's, you know, he was sort of steeped in rugby, but because Gloucester is, is very close as well, a lot of military units around there, quite close to Hereford, of course, special service, special, special forces there. There's always been that um, connection with the military there. And, and for me, when I actually saw, it's really odd. There are so many different, um, uh, so many different groups now that, um, and charities that are supporting veterans um, in lots of different ways, whether it be mental health and so on and so forth. But there's something very simple and very pure about the, the, the Rugby for Heroes thing, and which Mike's alluded to, the fact that when they, when they leave the military, it's not just losing a job. It's losing a peer group where you were respected for the job that you did, and you suddenly find yourself in Civvy Street where you might have to sign on and nobody cares what you do. And, um, you, you know, you're a member of a team and you knew you, you, what, what you brought to that team and were respected for it. And that suddenly has gone missing. And all your mates, that it's not just friends. It's a, it, like Mike says, it's a family. And that loss of family is a, is a huge thing. And you could actually see that. And, and very often with the people that I met, um, Invictus was one of the things that actually gave them the spur to go out and start doing some physical activity. And we all know now uh, the link between physical activity and mental health. So if you start doing something physically active again, when you live the physically active life, what happens is they come out and then they, they sort of drift and they find themselves drifting and with no motivation. And it's finding that there's something very pure about the fact that you go, okay, look, we can coach you up in rugby, which sounds like the simplest thing in the world. 
But then they go out and start coaching and they are respected again. And they have a position where people respect them for their skills and their abilities. People listen to them. They're a member of a team. They're, 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 they're heading towards uh, a purpose, a victory on the, on the field, if that's necessary. And it also gives them a new family of about 400 people in every rugby club that you go and join or belong to. So I've actually seen people go from sort of slightly listless and not knowing where to go. And this being their drive to get themselves back in the, in the, in, in the driving seat of their own lives. Um, and then everything else starts to fall into place. The jobs often follows. You, the other thing, I used to, when I was a kid, I, I left school and I'd travel around the world playing rugby. I used to basically save up enough money to go to the next country um, and walk into a rugby club and, and ask for a game. And um, not to, not, obviously not to the standard that we're, we're talking with Mike, but just club rugby. But it meant that at the end of the game, I'd sit in the bar afterwards and they'd say, well, where are you staying? I said, oh, I don't know. And what are you doing for a job? I don't know. And there's always someone in a club of 400 that's got, you know, a room over the garage that they can let you have whilst you, or there's a job there with a landscape or in this bar or, you know, doing whatever it happens to be. And I actually went, you know, I went to, from Canada to America and across to Australia and New Zealand and played in Italy. And so I kind of use rugby clubs to just travel around the world. And, and that brotherhood is the same, is, is a kind of similar thing to the military. So it, it's, it's a new start for everybody. And it's, it's amazing to watch when you, get, when you get these guys put through the system. And um, so we thought we could expand that and, and get bigger with it. And um, when I joined it, I thought, well, see if we can go a little bit bigger on this. And we started talking about this American trip and this American tour, which was all looking fantastic up until the shutdown. <laughs> no, it's, it certainly was. It, it sounds great. I know that at some point it will happen as well. From what I'm hearing from both of you guys, and I think it's something that we all have something in common at the moment is we're all used to our own routines and all of a sudden that's been turned upside down and turned on our heads. And now there is a new normal of a routine on, on a lockdown. Um, how important, how important is routine to the guys when they come into rugby for heroes? It sounds like when you go out, it gives them an opportunity to have a new routine, to have something stable again, to work towards something, new friends, new family. That's what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I think it's very tricky because both both rugby or professional sport and uh, the military life, you basically get institutionalised in some way. You are told... When, you, when you're eating, where you're eating, what time you're doing this, what time... I mean, for say for my wife, six months, well, probably four months in advance, she would know my daily schedule. Um, obviously, then with, um, with all the drugs testing in terms of uh, performance-enhancing drugs, you'd, you have to fill out those whereabouts forms. So you need, to, you need that level of detail. So then coming out of it and then not having any detail around what you're doing, where you're going... Um, trying to be able to plan that structure, you know, from my own personal, I came out and I just said yes to everything, uh, any charity stuff, any opportunity of doing things in a hope that I would then you figure out and find where you want to go. And it took about six months really of just saying yes, because I felt I should be doing something, even things that I didn't really want to do, but I felt I should be doing something just to fill the time. And it's probably took me at least six months before I realized, well, why am I doing that? It's got nothing to do. It's not something I'm passionate about. Um, and that, that's the sort of where you want to try and help out. And that's where you want to try and drag them into a rugby club, as Nick said, where people might go, well, what did you do in the military? And they go, oh, did this? He goes, oh, well, I, I run a company and we are actually looking for people who can do that. And, it, and it's through those networks that you're trying to build and, and shape things. But yeah, it is going to, it's trying to fill that, that void where you can get sucked one way or another. You know, if you've been serving for your country, you might have had to do some things that normal people shouldn't ever really know about and don't want to, uh, and never have to face. So it can be quite dark if you suddenly come back and you don't have that routine, those those people you're used to relying on, whether it's just for a talk when you're down, someone to lift you up. When you then have to go and find that, you're not sure whether you really want to share those experiences with, or whether you should share those experiences. So it's, it, can be, it can be quite daunting and, and all we're trying to do is help them transition through that because all these guys are amazing people who have served their country and they deserve that support. Thank you. And, and we are extremely grateful for their service as well. That was a great answer. Thanks, Mike. Um, I think can, I just say, can, I just, please. can I just say something quickly? That, that this, this works not only... Um, this is opposite, not, not just to uh, 
us in uh, in the UK, but very much the case in America too. Agreed. You, you know, you, you have a huge number of forces drawn down from Afghanistan and Iraq over the last few years. Um, and those people are back in, in the streets in in London and Manchester and uh, and Cardiff, but they're also uh, in the streets of Detroit and, um, you know, all across America. So and, and you can either see those people uh, as, a, as a, a potential difficulty, because what do you do with them and how do they find their way? Or you see them as a resource. Um, and we've been pushing hard to try and make people realize that they're a resource and quite often with the military themselves, trying to get them to realize that they are potentially yeah. a massive resource with great abilities and great, great skills to bring to bear. Um, I couldn't agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Nick. And uh, certainly we have our fair share of veterans here in Los Angeles. And I, I, I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of homelessness. It's a real challenge here. Um, I think I believe there is an answer and we can find a way to repurpose these people and give them some give them some hope and opportunity um, I mean, the VA the, is actually that, based there isn't it the VA, VA yeah. is actually based in in Los Angeles there in 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 Santa Brentwood. Monica I think yep Brentwood and yeah. that's the that's the amazing thing about America is how and I think it's different to the UK in how patriotic people are to their military in America. I think I've done a few things with a, a, a charity called the On Course Foundation, which does this thing called the Simpson Cup, which is injured servicemen playing golf. Um, and the amount of love that's there and people willing to give money to, but then it's, it's, it's identifying the right ways to put that money to make sure you're hitting the gaps. Um, you know, we know homeless is a massive uh, issue with ex-service people because, again, they don't get swept up and, and find their, their next goal quick enough and it's an easy thing to get stuck into. And loving, can you share your Haribo with us all, Nick, or not? Sorry, I just realised what I'm doing. My son, my son has lost patience. And so I'm now having to give him a bowl of Haribo, against, which I have, I, can, I have to tell you, it's expressly against his mother's wishes. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, she'll never know as long as she doesn't listen to this. She'll never know. <laughs> fine. She'll be fine. Well, thanks for outing me there. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so as I say, obviously home we know that homeless is wherever in the world military is is an issue and it's finding the right ways of, of catching these and catching the um, the attention of people who want to support and supporting in the right de right ways. Some of sometimes the bigger charities aren't looking at this sort this sort of, this sort of thing. And what we're trying to do is is just try and pull that and be that first point of call when you when you come out of of, uh, of a guiding arm or a guiding uh, hand that just pushes you or nurses you in the right direction, but doesn't give it to you. You have to go get it yourself at the same time. Thanks, Mike. We could we could actually uh, we could expand that and we could use that um, uh, by coming to America. Mike's already had some experience of that with the Gulf, but it became apparent to us that um, if we brought a rugby tour into America, whilst rugby is a growing sport in America and undoubtedly over the next five ten years will expand dramatically. We know the franchises are going in um, the sevens this year in uh, in LA. Uh, we'll move from Vegas to LA and. Um, uh, and got a good response. I think we'll get a growing response each year under under Dan Lyle and and, and uh, his organisation there. But when we started to look at coming there, one of the things that happened was I worked was working with a, a surfer down in um, West Wales here who does disability surfing, um, and uh, he started this thing by um, somebody a mum coming up to him and saying, "My son is severely disabled. Uh, I don't suppose there's any way he could ever go on a surfboard." And and the guy went, "Well." Yeah, there's got to be somewhere doing this. So basically, he built a surfboard with a chair on it that he could actually put the kid in and then had a couple of grab rails on the side so his mates could hold him in the surf and then surf this child in. The joy on the child's face is extraordinary because for that young person, one of the things about disability, it doesn't just take away your physical ability, but it takes away your one of the key things about humanity, which is the ability to choose to take risk. We're a very strange monkey, human beings where we decide to strap ourselves uh, you know, into, into aeroplanes that, that we've only just built or go at 200 miles an hour on a motorbike or on, in, a, in a Formula One car or chuck ourselves off a bridge on a bungee rope or parachute. We, we're, we're probably the only animal that deliberately puts ourselves in physical danger. And if you think about it, rugby's 
one of those places. I mean, Mike will know because he played to a much higher standard than me. But going out of the changing room, very often you were you knew that the people you were going out to face were going to try and kill you whilst you're out there. It was, you know, and we choose to go out and do that. It's a very human thing to put yourself in that situation. And this guy who was running this, um, this disability surfing said to me, the kids with disabilities never get to make that, make that choice, which is actually a very human thing. And of course it takes enormous courage from the people who care for them and love them to let them do that. But when they do, the joy on their faces is extraordinary. And then when I discovered that in Santa Monica, they have a, a similar thing um, called um, Life Rolls On, I think it's called, which is the charity in, in America that does uh, disability surfing and skateboarding and things down there. And as we looked at our rugby tour into LA, it suddenly became apparent that there were other sports that were doing extraordinary work in rehabilitation. So rehabilitation through sport became the overarching idea, which is um, when we started, so I started chatting to Chantal, who's leaving for a moment, so I won't bring her in on the conversation straight away. Something's, it looks like her house has caught fire because she suddenly rushed out of the room. <laughs> so um, we, 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 discovered that, um, we discovered that other sports do extraordinary things um, for rehabilitation, whether it be... Um, the Williams sisters in LA have, uh, uh, have, have set up and funded a trauma centre um, after after their sister was involved in a drive-by shooting um, uh, uh, in the early 2000s. So the Williams sisters set up a trauma centre and have been funding that. And there's, that's one way of rehabilitation through sport using using your um, uh, using your the money that you make to help. But rugby for heroes is an example where we use rugby to rehabilitate people and give them new, a new outlook on life and a new opportunity. Then you've got, you know, disability surfing, you've got um, many other sports that have outreach, all of the sports that, you know, whether it be basketball or American football or whatever. And uh, in conversation with Chantal, we suddenly realized that there was um, one or two other friends in America. We suddenly realized there was an opportunity here to expand this and start to look at, um, uh, look at somehow sort of celebrating how sport uh, contributes to rehabilitation in so many different ways, and um, and that's where we started thinking about this uh, this sports event uh, in uh, around the rugby tour uh, or in Santa Monica, and that's when I asked Chantal to become involved. Yes, thanks, and 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 that's how um, I heard about it through Chantel. Chantel. We, we have you on the line as well, um, and we, we've been talking about lots of different things. Something that came up earlier was the power of networking um, and, you, and leveraging your network. That's something that's super, super important here in Los Angeles in, in almost every aspect of life, especially business um, and with nonprofits and charitable organizations. Where do you come into this, Chantel? Tell us a little bit more about your involvement. Well, just to, to go back, and for those that don't know, I came back from L.A. four months ago. I'd been the chief executive of BAFTA Los Angeles for nearly five years. Uh, BAFTA, as most people know, is a charity. It is a non-profit organization. So a lot of what I spent nearly five years doing was working with uh, sponsors, brands and sponsors, to sponsor our big events, uh, to help fund the charity that uh, basically is about encouraging the next generation of creative talent in the um, art forms of the moving image. A uh, lot of local education work in, in Los Angeles and, and uh, downtown LA and in Watts and Compton and some of the more difficult, challenging parts of, of um, Los Angeles, but also giving out um, scholarships to British kids coming to study in America too. So Nick and I started talking about it. I mean, our contact goes back 20 years. We used to work together on a BBC show called City Hospital. Which when Chantal was only 15 show. years old. <laughs> I'd like to think I was 15, <laughs> but sadly not. Um, but it was a live daily show from a, uh, a hospital based in Southampton, Southampton General Hospital. It was uh, fun and complicated and exhausting. But we reconnected through BAFTA a few months ago. Nick has just won a BAFTA and is a member of BAFTA, which is lovely. And he was talking about bringing Rugby for Heroes out to California. And 
during the process of me going back home to, to London, where I am now, I was looking for charities that I could help support. Um, after you know leaving behind my charitable work with BAFTA, I wanted to replace that with something else that I could do that was useful and something that I felt committed to. So I offered to help Mick and Mike and the rest of the team to make connections into California. And obviously we did that through getting hold of you guys at the British American Business Council. I've talked to a lot of my other um, colleagues and um, sponsors and brands out there too. So I'm using all of my connections um, on behalf of Rugby for Heroes to try and get this thing off the ground as and when it happens. It was going to be June, but obviously we've had to postpone it. Yes, no, certainly. And uh, just from, from my side of the fence on the BABC here in Los Angeles, we couldn't be happier to, to be involved and to help as much as we possibly can. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of sport and rugby. Um, and the, the connection between sport and mental health is, is so important. Um, it's a big part of my daily life, in fact. So I, you've got a, a big uh, supporter over here and I'm when, when the rubber hits the road again and we can figure out when this, when this can all happen, we'll be there with you waving the flag and getting it done. You, you've got my promise on that. Um, the great my, thing about this is actually making sure that we, get, that we make, it, make it across the, uh, across the herring pond as well. We don't want this to be a British event coming into, into LA. We, we, we'd very much like to set up at some stage uh, a rugby for heroes in America. We think it will fly in America too. A lot of the military actually play rugby anyway and have yeah. done for some time um, in America. Um, a lot of the universities do as well. Um, but um, so going forward, we, we, you know, we can absolutely see this working in America and we'd like to think about setting up, setting that up. But when we come to do the, 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 the tour, and we, yeah, we are, you know, the idea was to go down and we were going to launch on um, the aircraft carrier down in San Diego and then come up through uh, Pendleton and, see the guys, uh, the Marines there, and then come up to LA. And then the last part of the tour was going to be in LA with a gala dinner, uh, with a big rugby game on a Saturday, and with a beach event down in Santa Monica uh, towards the end of the week. Now that was, all, all we were all set and flying high, um, fantastically, Ellis and uh, down at um, the Fairmont Santa Monica were absolutely 100% behind us and joining in. We had our media partner through the deadline, the wonderful deadline, who said they'd come on board and be our media partner. So it was all going in the right directions. But unfortunately, with the close down, obviously we've had to pull back from that. But we see you've got to see the positives in things. You, there's literally no point in crying over spilt milk. So, you know, it gives us a year, it gives us more time to plan, gives us more time to make sure that everybody's on board and more time to make those reach out and make those partnerships with the other sports. Because we believe that, you know, the, the, all of the, the, the Lakers, the Rams, the, you know, all the different sporting bodies that there are in, in California um, will, will want to be part of this because it is celebrating how sport plays such an important part uh, in people's well-being and rehabilitation. Um, not only just simply from the fact, you know, like in, in, in American football, the, the recent law changes over the last couple of years to protect from head injury. Um, and work, but, but outreach and working uh, with people who have suffered head injuries were through the sport. Rugby has a very similar uh, thing that we're looking into at the moment, trying to trying to deal with those uh, those uh, head injuries by changing some of our rulings about tackling, very much like American football has over the last couple of years. But there's outreach in all of those areas and working with people who've fallen by the wayside and helping people, get, you know, get back into, as I say, into the driving seat of their lives and. Um, you know, the more we talk about it to people, the more people want to join in, and we want to make sure that this is a, this is you know, this is a full-on Santa Monica event and um, uh, and Californian event that we can get American military involved in. And the game was was going to be our touring uh, rugby for heroes versus an American 15, which uh, was going to be a combination of military and and uh, and um, retired professional rugby players that was going to join in too. And we still intend that to be the case. Um, and then at the gala dinner, we'll be able to give out some awards where we can, we can actually, you know, bring, uh, bring the, uh, the, the flashlight of uh, publicity onto some of the amazing work that is being done quietly in rehabilitation through sport. And weirdly, it's an area that's not very often talked about or celebrated. But as you said yourself, it's critically important. And so... 
Chantal and I found as we were going around uh, talking, you know, like as we came over to talk it through just a couple of months, about a month before the shutdown, that everybody, the response from everybody was really positive, wasn't it, Chantal? Yeah, it was. I mean, everybody was very keen and excited, and I'm sure they will be again once we get through this. I mean, I think in, in general terms, in business terms, it's going to take a little bit of time for sponsors to get back on board. Um, I, yeah. I used to be in the brand world, and I know that brands are going to find it difficult to, to decide how much they're going to spend on their, you know, of their marketing dollars, um, how, they're go how they're going to talk to people, what the tone of voice is going to be after the virus. Um, what things are going to be important, what things are going to feel less important. So, so brands will take a little bit of time to come back to sponsor events. And I think that's the same across all sport, that there's going to be a bit of a lag whilst all of this gets reconfigured and the sponsorship money starts flowing back into the system. I mean, we've seen the shutdown of, obviously, of, of everything in the UK, but even things like the London Marathon, which is an enormous fundraising exercise as well for charity. And, of course, that hasn't happened this year. So there are lots of sort of financial implications of the shutdown that affect sport in a very particular way, mainly through sponsorship and its ability to generate funds through um, fundraising. Thanks. I think that don't you think that it's, that it's true the fact that um, coming out of this, people will want to see um, uh, care and consideration, and um, uh, and re and I mean rehabilitation. We're talking about rehabilitation through sport. You know, a lot of people are going to have to be rehabilitated back into work and into all kinds of different areas. That's I mean that's if ever there's a catchword, rehabilitation is going to be the one. So many people are going to you know it's going to be a, a completely different world, and I think. I think people are going to look to um, how how companies act after this in terms of that that social commitment. There is some extraordinary stuff going on over here at the moment. With um, the military are doing an extraordinary job quietly behind the scenes and delivering literally millions of, of PPE for um, for the frontline services at the moment. But there's lots of other people as well. There we're, we're building. We're building brand new hospitals at the NEC and up in um, Birmingham, up in Manchester. They were just announced one in Bristol. These are all being built and in the, sort of, you know, 10 to 13 days by tradesmen joining in and getting stuck in it and coming from everywhere to do it. Um, and there's all kinds of other amazing things going on where companies are doing extraordinary things to support uh, nurses and doctors. And uh, so that, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a real positive spirit. Um, but I think people will come when they come out the other side. We'll be wanting to see that community involvement from companies in terms of their commitment to being part of the of the community, not just using the community. If you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. The um, it's weird. I just looked up a quote before we jumped on this podcast, and necessity is the mother of all invention. And it's in fu it's funny because the need now to create the hospitals. It, it, people are just doing it in record time because everyone's working together. It's a sense of community and it goes back to sport again. I love that sense of community. People want to belong to something and the whole rugby for heroes ethos sounds exactly. That's what it's all about. So it, but the we, other thing is someone like someone like Mike will know because it, it, during his professional career, there are times when you are, when, when things aren't going well and you are, and you've got to pull yourself out of it. I mean, those, the people who know how to do that, um, who've been through that, like Mike, will, will uh, people will want to listen to that now because we all need to pull out, pull ourselves out of it. And um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a danger of a torpor and there's fear in, within, in amongst people. There's great things happening, but when you're at your lowest, and 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 again, the sporting analogy is always. A good example for that is like, and I don't know, maybe Mike has knows knows how to do this. But if your if your team isn't doing well and you're down, you know, how do you get yourself up and get going again? When uh, rather than just languish at the bottom, uh, were you ever on a losing side, Mike? <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, a few times. Uh, <laughs> look, we I've been on teams that have lost uh, eight. I think when I was playing for Bath, we lost nine, ten, eleven on the bounce and. Some of the time, sometimes it's it's more you overthink things. Then you think you have to change something, whereas it's not. It's, it's actually more about the simplicity, getting the basics right, and and just getting back to actually reality of what you know you're good at. You're always looking for solutions, rather. At some points, it 
it comes back to just focusing on yourself. Um, but yeah, look, you know, it is going to be a difficult coming out of it because we still don't know when that's going to be, what, what uh, the financial cases are going to be on businesses. But, you know, one thing I do know is sport drives a lot of business, especially in America, in terms of how many people, um, companies and, and how they have set up uh, their sports, whether it be MLB, whether it be NFL, whatever it may be, NHL or whatever. Um, it is set up for businesses to be involved in and, and it benefits and, and through their high school, through college ball, how they get, how everyone's encouraged to be involved in it. It plays a vital role to everyone. I mean, you go talk sport in America, they know the stats on any player, all of, whether it be a male, a female, a, a kid, they all know stats. It's all driven. Then that's what they live for. And which isn't how it happens in, in England. And unfortunately we don't possibly have the buy-in that we get that the U S gets in. But I think, the faster that the sport gets back going, I think the faster business will, will kickstart again as well. Great question for you, Mike. Um, sorry, Chantel, do you want to go? You go first. No, all I was going to say was, I mean, the rugby boys will know better than me, but I think the Australian Rugby League has already announced that they will uh, resume uh, play from the end of May. I think that's right, isn't it? 28th of May? Yeah, there's a lot of talk around them doing the uh, the <coughs> island, though, isn't there? <laughs> Basically, all the all the teams will go live on an island, but they they stay playing for a long time because they were they basically were in a place where it was just the rugby, rugby players and they kept playing behind closed doors. So, look, I think sport is key to get back. I mean, have you ever seen a, a time where you, you just can't even watch any live sport? There's nothing, you know. And I think. <laughs> Normally, people are like if I've got a day off, you'll spend a lot of time watching watching some sport of some description. So, I think the faster sports gets on, even if it's behind closed doors, at least you get in, you'll get the TV money back in, which then also brings businesses that can can then start drawing people back into their businesses through what they what they do through advertising and everything else. And then, hopefully, you just get that big cog start kick kick starting again. And um, you know, you look at rugby at the moment; it's in a really tough spot because of you know we're we're not a we're foot like football we uh we're, we're battling away in terms of the clubs are always on that break so you know if this carries on for a lot longer we're in we're in danger of losing quite a few teams so um it's a tough spot for us at the moment so the quicker we can get back but playing behind closed doors whatever do whatever it takes the better i think I think, for the, about- I think the national well-being is good it's you know an international well-being sport is it's critical. It's all very well sitting there and watching and, and, you know, thank God we all have various different things like Netflix and things to actually look at and to go on. The truth of the matter is for most families, somebody will be watching a sporting event um, uh, at some stage during the week. And actually, and not only that, but, the, you know, the sort of banter with your mates about it, the well-being that comes with that sort of joint sort of watching, enjoying, supporting your team. I mean, supporting... That, that, you know, people have written about it before. Supporting your team is not actually just a matter of sport. It's it's a religious. It's almost a religion for people. Yeah. You know, it's right. replaced tri- it's replaced tribal war you know, over the years. It's, you know, your team versus their team. Your eleven warriors, your fifteen warriors going out to fight their fifteen warriors, or football or whatever it happens to be. So, you know, for, you, you you take sport out, you, you're taking an enormous chunk out of every everyday life. Not not least, I was driving past the betting shop the other day. And realised it was closed, and it suddenly occurred to me there's nothing to bet on. I was actually thinking of setting up snail racing in the back garden and televising it, so because people will bet on anything at the moment. I, um, I think they will. Um, Mike, um, it's funny because talking of rugby, one of the last major sporting events here in Los Angeles was the Rugby Sevens. The last sporting yeah. event before everything was shut down was actually the LA Marathon, I believe. Um, right. Rugby Sevens uh, and our mutual friend Dan Lyle, great guy. They put on a they put on a great show, um, and there was yeah. a lot there was a lot of publicity leading up to it. Uh, a lot of events we supported them Hi. as well from the BABC side of things. Oh, good morning. Hi there. Good evening. <laughs> um, and is that what you hope for when the, when you can get back going here? Is that the kind of promotional stuff we can expect? <laughs> from Rugby for Heroes. Do you want it on that level? Is that the plan? Yeah, well, look, I think, I think with, with rugby in America, it's, it's obviously a very much at its infancy at the moment. I, you know, Ben Foden's out there, Alex Corbett's Aero's involved in some way, so there are a few English guys out there. Obviously, Matt, uh, Bath, Bastero was out there. So I think 
you know, Sevens is an amazing event because it's, you know, anywhere you go in the world, it is high octane, the players, unbelievable athletes, um, tries galore, high tempo, and then they have a party also, which includes it all. So, you know, I think that would be what we wanted to do. Everything should be done around fun. All the hard work's on the field, but everything else is around fun. So, yes, we'd love to come back with a with a bang and get all the sport going that way. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to when it really sinks in. I think it is going to be through sevens realistically, where rugby sinks in for for the USA. I, th- I think it suits their sort of what they like in sport, um, and then hopefully the 15s will grow nicely behind that because. Soon as they take it seriously, they're going to be a, a media power with, with the level of athletes that they get through uh, the college system. Ultimately, very few get drafted, and there's a lot of supreme athletes that are then either stay in college or they don't really have anywhere to go. They'll be a local hero through what they've done through high school and, and college. But um, if we can then repurpose them into a, a into, I mean, look at Dan Lyle for example. He obviously played uh, tight end uh, through college and. I uh, was on a training squad for, I can't remember which team it was. And then he comes over to, and he has these skill sets that just we haven't seen in, in rugby in, in 97. Well, I joined in 97. You know, we were playing the second team game. This guy's wants to do a quick line out and my mate Ian Bolshaw is on the other wing and he, American football passes it 45 yards across the, the width of the pitch. And, and even the ref, referee blew it up and Dan's like, well, what's wrong with it? And he goes, I don't know. I just haven't seen it before, so I had to blow it up. And so, you know, you know, the the quicker we can, the quicker. That, and that's what that's what you sort of want to see. Obviously, we get we get glimpses with people like Colin Isles and uh, and um, uh, Perry Baker and uh, you know or Kenny Baker. Um, you know what they can do, and if we can get more athletes like that from America and, and sort of start that fire, I think you know it, it it would be great for our sport, but it would it be good for America too. It, um, I, I, I'm just uh, just interrupt for one second. Can I congratulate you on your parenting skills? There and not going to the Harry Bowl <laughs> like I did. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, Mike um, Dan Lyle. Um, in Dan Lyle's repertoire leading up to the Rugby Sevens was sharing uh, some stories about his friendship with you. While we have you, and he can't, he's not here to defend himself, do you have any a story that we can have from you about him? Ah. Uh. I, I don't know. He was, and, and he was, as I would call, he is the ultimate Mister Captain America. You know what we don't get in 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 English sports is we never get really ramped. You know, you don't get really ramped. You know, you listen to uh, sort of live mics at NFL games when when they're on the sidelines and they're talking. That sort of talk doesn't ever happen in uh, in our sport, especially in rugby, in terms of the over-the-top positivity chat. And then when Dan saw the first American to land in, when he came over, I think he was 95. And wow, like you've, you've never heard a pre-match speech like it, you know, in terms of getting it going. <clears throat> you were doing it for your family. You were doing it for your friends. You were doing it for your, your, your the, the fan next door to the guy next door to the dog's mate who was owned <laughs> by the guy down there. You know, <clears throat> he was pulling it. He was pulling emotional drivers from everywhere even out of his hoop when he was blowing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Dan was, he just an infectious, uh, incredible leader, actually, to be fair to him. Uh, he has a military background as well um, through his family. Um, and you could see that come out when he played, uh, never left any, any stone unturned. And, um, and you'll have to give me, if I can think of some, uh, some stories as we go through, I'll put my brain to work now. There must be something I can dig out of this. Oh, well, we'd love to hear it. And I remember when I first met Dan, he, he is the epitome of someone who's built like a brick, you know what. He is a, a big guy, solid guy, but such a lovely guy as well. And I wish him all the best with his rugby seven. I was going to say, he's got nipples like bullets, but I'm not sure that everyone wants <laughs> to know that. But. Let me tell you well, a story about Chantal. <laughs> <laughs> Please Thank do. God, this is Nicholas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've known it 25 years. You know, it's like <laughs> so it's a question for everybody then. We've got a lot of downtime right now. Um, and we're all hoping for the best for when we can get restarted. In your opinion, when are we going to see Rugby for Heroes in Los Angeles? 
Nick? <laughs> uh, well, I think at this stage, realistically, we're probably going to be talking about uh, probably 2021. If, if I, I think I'd like us to be out there in the autumn. We might still run a small tour in the autumn. If we get a chance to get out there in the autumn um, with uh, just a simple tour, because we'd like to get over there just to make those connections with all the various partners that are ready to ramp up into the big event. The, the big event, we would, you know, that big Santa Monica recovery through sport uh, week or weekend, I don't think will happen um, uh, in 2020 now because we'll re reschedule that for next year. But if we can get, if we can get a tour into, into America in the autumn, just so that we can all come over, meet face to face, all of those partners that want to go forward with us and, and make the 2021 event such a big event in, in involving all the various different sports, um, then I, that'd be great if we could get over there. But to be honest, it's so up in the air at the moment with any kind of uh, sporting fixture that, um, that it's almost impossible to tell. And, and the trouble is, with you know, the suggestion is that, that when they release the lockdown, they might release it for a few months and then put people back into lockdown and back out again. It's... It's a very weird circumstance. And, you know, for all of the experts briefing every day, it's very difficult to pick the wood from the trees from, from what's going on. It seems to me that, you know, that I, it's all about the flattening out the curve, isn't it? It's, it's all about trying to make sure that not every, everyone's not ill at the same time. Right. I think is, is, is the message. I mean, well, and, and it's all, so, also about getting testing done for people who don't really know that they've had it. Who think right. they might have just had normal flu. It's, it's about getting well, those yeah. testing and getting those results out and, and actually building a process. I'm sort of involved with a company um, called V code that is now trying to run a digital health passport. Um, so basically once you get tested and if you're given the green light, you put the green light into your digital passport. So if sport then happens behind closed doors, you will then be able to buy tickets because you'll you'll have the green light on your digital passport, which will then allow you to buy tickets because you'll have you'll have the uh, you'll be uh, not inoculated. You'll you'll have immunity and you'll be allowed yeah. to go back out. And that's the sort of that's where we need to get to. The problem is with being locked down all the time is we don't really because people can't get tested. We don't really know who's had it, who's immune to it, who's. And that's, that's the big up in the air bit at the moment is obviously we do not want to overrun the NHS in any way and we don't want to jump to anything. But then what we've got to try and push forward is having these tests to allow us to, to know who, is, who has immunity, who's had it, who is still at risk. And then we can protect the people at risk and hopefully allow the people, the people, the people who are, have immunity to get back to, get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like I mean, that, that's sounds like a sounds sense. like a reality TV show. Who's got immunity? Uh, everyone's fighting <laughs> for immunity, right? <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, that's the thing, really, isn't it? I mean, is the sooner we can actually find out if you've. I mean, I was ill for 14 days, um, and I'm fairly sure that I actually went through it. But then, by the same token, without a test, I don't know. And I'm, I'm not gonna, yeah. you know. I, I, so I, I can't find out. And um, and to be honest, at the moment when you actually got you, you know, your frontline staff aren't all getting tested, any tests that are available should, should obviously go straight to the, those frontline staff. What, but once we can actually get testing out, there, someone was telling me the other day when I was talking about talking about this, I've, I've been a little bit involved with the with the, the people who are building um, these the, the Nightingale hospitals around the country in terms of um, getting getting all of the. Uh, in, in terms of getting all of the, uh, the the workmen they need to do it, in actual fact, the response has been brilliant. So I barely needed to do anything at all. But um, but he was saying to me that one of the difficulties is that that the, 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 uh, the coronavirus. There have been actually many other coronaviruses. This COVID nineteen is one particular type of, and the test has to be not just have you are you have you had coronavirus. It has to be the the COVID nineteen particular one. So people are, uh, you know, there are a lot of people selling tests out on the market at the moment that aren't actually relevant anyway. And the, the, probably the most upsetting thing about this is the people who are trying to cash in on it. Um, so that we, we need clear advice. and We need a clear testing program that we know that works. And Mike's absolutely right. Once we've got that, then you can start to clear through and you can start to then, I mean, if you could test all of the premiership rugby clubs at the moment and find out that they're actually clear, if they were prepared to go into lockdown as clubs, you could then play games. And if you could play games, you could televise the sport. And if you televise the sport, then people will watch. Because at the moment, I'd watch anything. But, you know, I'd, I'd watch snail racing. I'd watch, you know, 
I'd watch curling. I'm sure I'm, now everyone is, what does curling would be upset that I'm suggesting that it's not a great watch. But, you know, I'm, you I'm, I don't watch any sport at all at the moment. So if you can get, if you can, if you can test people and actually get a quorum of people who are, um, who, who you know are fine and can actually mix and spend time together and compete against each other, then, you know, bring it on. Sooner the better, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we're coming towards the end, so I have a couple more questions. Um, one thing in regards to a potential mini tour towards the end of the year, uh, I've worked with Ellis O'Connor for many years. He's a fellow board member with the British American Business Council here in great Los guy. Angeles. And he's a, he's a great guy. He really is. And we've hosted the All Blacks Legends at his property and other rugby events. We had Play Rugby USA, which is all about children from underserved areas coming in to play big rugby game 500 children amazing events um and obviously the rugby seven so if it when when it happens you've got our support here in la we're very excited to help out you guys and be involved yeah we were slightly frustrated and i think from ellis's point of view too because we because rory best was coming over with us as well uh, when we were due to come over in june um which reminds me i must ring him and tell him it's off for the moment <laughs> uh, that's a great stitch up just let it go see if we can get a flight uh, but yeah so a great you know we've been lovely for Ellis to have the, um, the you know just retired uh, Ireland captain out there with us as well to um, to be part of that but we're hoping you know once we once we find a new date that, that uh, Rory will be able to come and join in and a number of other great um, great rugby players will come along and join in too so yeah, look, we're, you know, we're very keen to bring it on and to expand it and, and make it this much bigger thing where we think we can bring a lot of money to a lot of charities through, um, you know, whoever we talk to and uh, uh, that involved with it are, are, are very keen. So we're, we're still confident that once we get out to LA, we'll be able to do something fairly spectacular and, um, as I say, help, help a lot of charities along the way too. Wonderful. So I have a question for each of you and then I have one, one more question after that. Um, if I was to ask you just in a couple of sentences to say what, you're, what, what you'll see coming out of this, because there will be, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to get there. It might take another month or so. It may take longer. Um, what are you going to get out of this? And what's your new perspective on things post-COVID-19 when, when we can get on with our some, somewhat normal lives again? Chantel, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, I would like to think we're all going to be a little bit more compassionate. And I think that works for all of us who are in the nonprofit sector, who are trying to make people's lives a little bit better. But I think on the other side of this, because we have all pulled together, because we have supported our frontline um, medical staff, because we have all been, um, you know, laid low by this, um, either through uh, friends and family who've got it or, you know, the worry about whether one would get it or elderly parents who might get it. I think all of that is incredibly bonding. And I think once we go through the process of redefining who we are, that compassion will rise to the surface. Thank you. How about you, Nick? I think our, um, I think you're about to be arrested, it sounds like. Is that, is that your, is that, are they coming for yeah, you? It's, it's Chantal. It's 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 There's always someone looking for me. That's why he's hiding out in his car. <laughs> I'm sorry um, about that. I think, it, I think it was me. I live next to a police station, so I think there was something going on. A likely oh, story, Chantel. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually think that the difference is going to be that people are going to be much more aware of how companies operate. I think people are watching carefully uh, whether companies are engaged with their communities or they're just um, doing business with their communities. And I think if you if you are looking for a for a slogan going forward as a company, not just doing business with the community, being the community, I think is actually the way to think. And I think coming out of this, I think people will be looking at how companies engage. And I think the companies that will do well coming out of this are those that make it plain that they want to go forward together as a community, not just as a business. I think the days of sort of um, being the biggest shark in the pool and being admired, admired for it, I think have probably, have probably passed by now. I mean, there'll be a degree of that when we get back, obviously. But I think if you can demonstrate um, your commitment to your community, whether it be on a small scale, grand scale, or even international scale, 
I think then people will choose where they spend their dollar or pound uh, much more carefully going forward. Um, and I certainly, just on, on how people have reacted in uh, during this crisis uh, um, and, and which, which companies have decided to, uh, to pay their staff uh, rather than lay them off, um, companies that have decided that they can manage and um, uh, help and people like, you know, I'm, I was particularly impressed by the Formula One teams who have changed and used all of their technical ability to come up with, um, uh, with breathing apparatus for hospitals, which they're now churning out at high speed out of all the Formula One uh, teams. And I think that kind of thing is going to matter a lot to people going forward. So I think um, we could end up with a, a much more caring business community, much more connected to its customer. Um, and hopefully, um, and hopefully a bit of sport as soon as possible, because literally it's doing my head in. I'm, and it's, you know, it's that and as a single man, I'm uh, not being able to go out and date. I'm, I'm, it's like I'm having as much sex as I did when I was married. That's how bad it is. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and sport. So those are the two things I'd like back soon, please. <laughs> Got it. We'll make a note of that. How about you, Mike? Well, first, first things first, I am literally going to be crawling on my hands and knees to my teacher's feet and kissing them when uh, my kids can go back to school <laughs> and I don't have to be a teacher uh, will be the first thing because I am not made. They have patience and saints, those, uh, those teachers. Cause they really turns do. Out I, turns out I don't. Um, uh, but, but, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think what, what Nick said hit it on the head in terms of, I think, how local businesses and how people then buy in together now in, co- in communities obviously myself and nick live out in the west country and you know you rely suddenly you're relying on your local butcher you're relying on your local pharmacy you, you know i think uh, it's going to hopefully it'll bring those communities closer in your local area uh you know obviously at eight o'clock with the, the clapping from the nhs and there's a you know if you go out for exercise and and you social distance i like go out on the bike or you know, when you pass people you're actually saying hello how are you doing how are you and uh, i think it's it's actually making people want to talk to people because they can't go out and just do it in their <laughs> usual in their usual yeah. group so uh even though with social distancing if you're walking past someone you can always ask how they are and i think that's been a sort of a big opener for me and i, I think as nick said the way people businesses have treated their employees i think a it'll bring those cl- businesses closer together and hopefully you know people will respect more just generally in terms of what they do, whether it's in their business life or personal life. And um, yeah, I th- I'm hoping that, that it will actually make us make, make a lot of people better people. Uh, and a point down the crown as soon as possible. Eh? Well, exactly. Exactly. That sounds great. <laughs> well. we, need, we need to kickstart that pub enough. again, don't we Nick? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We need to kickstart that pub again. I never realised how how much I valued being able to walk into a pub and order a pint and sit there and drink a pint until it's, it was taken away from me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I totally can see that. Mike, I have a question for you. Um, you, you uh, you've been married for a few years and you've, you've led, I mean, under the circumstances, you've lived a very, very normal life. You get to do what you want to do and, and the way you want to do it. Um, there's a, quite a famous English family that's just uprooted and moved here to Los Angeles. <laughs> what is your advice to them to have a, a balance between their private life and a, and, and a life which is going to be in the media? What, what, what's your advice to them? I'm not sure I'm in a position to give them advice. I've never been, I've never been in the position that they, you know, they, they, they will be in. They have been in, in terms of what, oh, what both of them sorry my light's just gone off uh, what both of them have done in their uh, in their career in their careers so I don't know I, the only thing I want them to be is happy you know that's all you know they've got to find their way and as long as they're happy and Archie's happy then uh, that's all you can ask for them and, and I'm sure they'll do that it's, um, and we'll see how it turns out that's, that's, a a tough, that's a tough question obviously to answer for, for, for Tins actually because he's he, you know he's in the family and it's right. you know it's it's kind of it's like a bit, a bit asking like me asking you what was your mum up to the other night in the, in in the, in the nightclub <laughs> you know what I mean right so it's yeah. so I but I'll say look I'll say this I I I don't know them anywhere near as well as Mike does but on the few occasions that I've 
had uh, to work with Harry, um, the one thing I would say is he's a really good lad. You know, he's a really good lad with a good heart uh, and a good head on his shoulders. Um, and he'll be making decisions. Uh, the, we had a few conversations about um, just just doing the right thing. And I think that's always been his thing. He's, you know, he's, he's looking after his family. He's doing what he thinks is right. And I think we should all give him space. And I think for uh, for you guys over there, you'll be a, you'll be a fantastic addition to the uh, to the area. And um, I'm sure he will continue to work in uh, in those areas that he's done so successfully in the past, looking after veterans and his commitment to veterans and veterans' well-being um, is well documented. And his work with Invictus has been extraordinary. Yeah. And I know he's absolutely committed to carrying on that. So. Um, I, I think you're lucky to have him and uh, he's, a, he's a great loss over here but I fully understand why and, and, and support him in doing it yeah we're, we're, we're very uh, we're, we're honoured to have him um, I know he's done, he does a lot of work and it's great to have him here and we welcome him with open arms um, and I think you hit the nail on the head you just got to do right by your family and that's the most yeah. important thing so we all try and do that don't we we do well guys Thank you so much, Chantel, Nick, Mike. I appreciate Pleasure. you giving up some of your time for this podcast today. Um, super grateful. We're going to come out the end of this all better people and, and uh, in a better world. I'm sure of it. My name is James Langridge. You've been listening to another podcast with the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. Thank you. <laughs>